The call for proposals for Voice Summit 2020 is available now. Having the opportunity to speak at Voice Summit will be highly competitive this year. So if you'd like the chance to be a speaker at this year's event, fill out the form at voicesummit.ai and click on Apply to Speak. Proposals are only open until January 31st, so be sure to get yours in now. That's voicesummit.ai and click on Apply to Speak. Kane Sims is the co-founder of VUX World and a passionate leader in the voice tech world. You'll hear him talk about how the top five companies in voice tech are positioning themselves in the market, which includes Google, Amazon, Samsung, Apple, and Microsoft, and how Facebook may become another top player in voice. Plus, you'll hear his thoughts on how designers and developers should be preparing and creating in a way that allows skills to be on all the platforms, and if he thinks there is room for third parties to compete with the big players in the space. Hi, Inside Voice podcast listeners. Today, my guest is the co-founder of VUX World and the host of the Great Voice podcast with the same name, VUX World, Mr. Kane Sims. Thank you, Kane, for being here. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Kerry. Appreciate it. I'm loving the work you're doing on the podcast thus far, and hopefully we don't destroy all of that with this talk just now. Hopefully we can continue what you started. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been, we were talking earlier, I have seen you, I have watched you, and now we get to have you on here and discuss a topic together I'm really excited about. But before we get into it, you've been a writer and you've been in the digital marketing space for many years. Where did your interest and transition into voice come in and why? It's hard to pinpoint a specific time, but... um... Before I got into marketing and all that kind of stuff, I was, funnily enough, I used to make music. And uh, not that I was a successful music producer or anything like that, but uh, I did used to make music and uh, had a, a very, very small, I wouldn't call it a career, really. We had one kind of CD out back when CDs were the things that you kind of did and uh, quite a few gigs up and down the country and all that. Lot. So we used to write our own music, produce our own music and stuff like that. So I kind of had a creative and this was when I was like from the age of like 15 to sort of like 20 so I've always kind of been a bit of a creative and then I kind of went and did marketing I did marketing at uni I used to run events and stuff like that I used to get involved I used to do uh, used to be a freelance writer for a while the more I got involved in marketing the closer to the kind of end user I ended up getting until eventually I ended up becoming a, a UX designer and then into a UX consultancy position and so really, when I, I think I seen something online about Alexa and I'd never really understood what it was or come across it. And I seen this thing that people were talking to and I was thinking that if you could, and this is before I knew that you could do this, but I was thinking if you could create things for this platform, it would be unbelievable because it's like basically covers every single one of the skills that I've got, audio production, writing and user experience design. It's almost like perfect. And then so I started doing a bit of digging, started kind of like doing a bit of research and found that you could build things for this thing. But And I thought, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a podcast, I'm going to learn about it, and I'm going to publish what I learn so that everyone else can learn as well, if that would be useful. And I bought the domain name for VUX World when I had the idea, which was in June 2017. But I couldn't find anyone to interview about it. I just literally couldn't find anyone who had any experience or who'd, who'd kind of done it. And it was kind of going on in America in small pockets, but nothing over in the UK from what I could find. So I sat on the idea for about six months. And I think I come across the This Week in Voice podcast discussing news. I was thinking, well, if there's news about this 
industry, if it is an industry, then there must be people doing something with it. So I started doing a bit of investigation. And then before you knew it, I recorded four podcasts in December, put them out in February, I think it was 2018. And then it's been kind of constant ever since. And from there, we've done, you know, not just the podcast, but talks and hosting events. And we, now we've got a consultancy and design studio, and we're doing a whole host of interesting stuff. So it's been fun so far. That's great. I mean, congratulations to you. I mean, you can definitely see your passion for it, the hard work you put into it, how much you're posting on social. You know, people are definitely looking to you as a source of knowledge. So again, I congratulate you and thank you for doing that. Now, you wrote an article a while back about the current voice assistants and their marketing positions. In other words, what makes them unique and what you feel is missing from the space. And I'd love for you to take us through the top five and the newest one that is trying to fill the missing piece. So let's start off with Google Assistant. You say their current marketing position is search. Can you tell us why you think they are the best for this? I think this article was in May and things have changed a little bit since then. So I think that Google's position has also changed slightly. Obviously, first, search is obvious because Google is a search, predominantly a search company. That's where kind of all of its origins are. And I think that with the kind of Google Assistant searching on it will be a and is a kind of high volume use case. So they're bound to be focusing their efforts on getting search right. But I think what they've done in recent months is, first of all, I think they've tried to keep pace with Amazon in some areas. So for example, Voice in the Car, the latest Nissan, what is it? That kind of ugly looking one, Duke. Is it? Do you have Dukes in America? Nissan Dukes? Mm, I'm not familiar with it, no. Well, they probably haven't reached the lands of the US yet. They're probably not that popular. Horrible looking cars. But anyway, they have Google Assistant in them. There was an advert on TV about it the other day. So Google have kind of made partnerships with uh, the car. They've obviously released or going to release the Pixel Buds earphones, which will have Google Assistant in them. And then they've rebranded the whole thing since May. They've rebranded all of the Google Home devices to Google Nest devices. So they're obviously trying to make a play in the smart home. But I think all of that stuff really is just them trying to keep up with where Amazon are taking it. And so things like pushing it into the car and releasing headphones and trying to kind of get a grip on the smart home and and smart home automation and stuff like that is more of a kind of following strategy. Where I think they will lead is mobile, first and foremost. And when I think it was IO, which might have even been before this article was published, it might have been just after. But in the last IO event this year, they released things like in-app actions and and, it's in beta and it's only a, a small number of use cases that can actually take advantage of it. But essentially, if people don't know about it, what it is is that you can start the interaction on Google Assistant and then that will take what you say to Google Assistant and pre-populate your app with those fields. So for example, you could say, hey, Google, book me a table for Friday night at seven for two people. And it will take all of those things that you've just said and pre-populate the fields within your app with that information. So it's kind of like a shortcut. It's a bit like Siri shortcuts. It'll take people from Google Assistant into an app where you're already halfway through the user journey. So I think Google's general understanding and pedigree in, in mobile is pretty good as well. So I think mobile is, is one area where they will do really, really well, where they're kind of one of their differentiators is. And then also what they've tried to do as well, you'll notice, is that they're trying to kind of thread together all of Google's services over the top of, or having Google Assistant as the primary kind of interface for it. So they've got Google Calendar, Gmail, things like YouTube, things like Search, your Google Profile, all the other services that they have like Docs and Sheets and stuff like that. They've got quite a lot of services that they provide in different avenues that they could tie together and have Google Assistant as the thing that beds them all together. 
And because they have a mobile footprint, the thing that's with you 99% of your day, I think they can be the single and not necessarily single, but the primary voice assistant for certainly people in the Android ecosystem. And do you find in the UK that people are using Google Assistant more than Amazon Alexa or it's pretty consistent? People are using Google Assistant without even realizing that they're using Google Assistant. This is the thing. I mean, the other day, it wasn't actually the other day, it was a while back now. And I've probably told this anecdote on the podcast, but my dad was here. It's his 58th birthday today. So happy birthday, dad, if you are ever listening, if you manage to find out how to listen to podcasts. But he would always describe himself as someone who isn't necessarily technically savvy, but he has the devices. We got him an Echo for his birthday the other year. And you know, he's got a Samsung Galaxy 8 or whatever it might be. And he was down and we were talking about whiskey and we were trying to figure out what the process is called that turns a whiskey into the kind of caramel kind of dark color. So whiskey, when you brew it, it's just white, it's clear, and you need to make it that color. And we were trying to, because me and uh, my brother-in-law went on a whiskey tasting and we were trying to figure out what, we're trying to remember what the, what the uh, term was to turn whiskey a darker color. And my dad just whipped his phone out and just asked Google, what's the process for whiskey getting dark or how does whiskey get its dark color or something like that. And that popped him into Google Assistant. It took him to, uh, you know, a featured snippet came up, it answered his question. And he didn't know he was interacting with Google Assistant, but he was doing it anyway. I bumped into a mate of mine outside the post. This is going to sound like a typical setup. I bumped into a friend of mine outside the post office. And this is generally true. And uh, we just had a general catch up and stuff like that. And he said, oh, you know, let's, let's organize something. Let's go for a drink. And he said, well, okay, well, let's do it in a few weeks time. And he asked his phone, what am I doing on XYZ date, Friday or something? And it told him that the evening was free. And he said, right, well, let's pencil that in. He didn't know that he was using Google Assistant. He didn't like reference. Google Assistant at all. He was just talking to his phone. So I think that people are using it more than we actually think, but they're not using it because they want to use Google Assistant. They're just using their voice to do stuff because it's more convenient. Yes, that makes so much sense. Because I know when I talk to people that are not in this realm, they have no idea what voice is. And they always think of it as just the device in your home. But you're right, they're using it already and they're not even aware. And I guess I didn't know personally that Google was attached to Android. So it's probably a lot more effective in some ways than Apple Siri, which we'll be getting to in a little bit. Yeah, your phone is the thing that you have with you the vast majority of the time. For Google, it is uh, a no-brainer that, that mobile will be really important for them. Moving on to Amazon Alexa. Now, in this article, again, as you said, it was written in May. So I love that you're kind of updating your thoughts on this. You had said that their angle was primarily in the shopping realm. Why do you think this is their most important angle or do you think it's changed? I think some things have changed. I think the Alexa platform has matured a little bit, but fundamentally, that's kind of where it is all going to end up for Amazon in some way, shape or form, given that half of their business or a large chunk of their business is retail. I think that if having worked with Amazon, I wouldn't say tightly, tightly, but fairly, you know, we've worked with Amazon quite a bit over the last year. And we've been involved in things like the Alexa Cup, which we were in with uh, Charlie Cadbury and Sander Cezanne and uh, Joe Wallace of Said Now and Bookscale. I was invited to be part of their team for the Alexa Cup, which we come first in the UK, first in Europe and third in America and in the world rather, which was actually at the last Voice Summit, funnily enough, uh, which I didn't get a chance to go to because I was on a cruise for my brother-in-law's wedding. Anyway, throughout the Alexa Cup, you kind of got a sense for what Amazon are really prioritizing and the guidance and the mentorship that you were given throughout the whole process was very much about first and foremost, make it something that's a good experience. It's grounded in something that is useful. 
Secondly, use all of Amazon's features. So create a multimodal experience and all that kind of stuff. But third, and one of the things that we're pushing pretty heavily is in-skill purchasing and Amazon Pay. They're trying to drive everyone who's building skills now to experiment with in-skill purchasing. I don't think there is a coincidence why the developer rewards program for people that don't know about that. It's a program where Amazon will pay developers for high performing skills just to maintain those skills. And it's kind of a common understood thing in the industry that those developer rewards have been declining in terms of how much developers are getting paid by Amazon. That's been declining recently. And I think that one of the reasons for that is because they are probably trying to push developers into using in-skill purchasing and to use an Amazon Pay within their kind of uh, experiences. So obviously shopping will be huge for Amazon and, and fundamentally that's probably what they may be using. I don't definitely know this, but I can imagine that a company like Amazon would be using amount of money spent on Alexa as a real core metric for them to judge the success by. But they have got a broader strategy than that. You know, they've released the Echo Buds, which although they're not available in the UK, they're now you can get them in America. They've got a whole load of partnerships going on with car manufacturers. So the Volkswagen Golf is now going to have Alexa built in. The new Ford vehicles are going to have Alexa built in. And then they're really pushing the smart home as well. You know, the last event they had, they were releasing all kinds of crazy products as they usually do. And smart home is really key for them because, you know, they don't have mobile devices. They've got really strong market share with smart speakers. And, and the one thing that, that kind of makes the smart home possible and the thing, the hub of it all, the thing that kind of will govern the whole thing is your smart speakers and the platform that, that runs on your smart speakers. So I think this home is really important for them as well. So yeah, I think their strategy has broadened, but I still think shopping and getting people to pay for stuff with their voice is still a real important part of their strategy. Now, when you were in the Alexa Cup and your, again, congratulations on, on winning those things, did you encompass all the things you just talked about where it was a good experience, it was useful, it had the features of the in-scale purchases? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, the whole concept of the experience had Amazon pay as the core part of it. And I don't really know how much of it I can actually say because I don't know how... In fact, actually, it must it's public record because it, the presentation was at Voice Summit. So it's all to do with booking local services, essentially, and making local businesses bookable. And in order to book something, you need to take a payment for it. So Amazon Pay underpinned everything that that skill and that whole experience was built on, basically. Now, I want to shift to kind of the third player here, which is Samsung Bixby. And I recently had Roger Kibbe on from Samsung and Viv Labs. And he was just really talking about how much there's so much about third-party users and apps and this creativity component, which to me was very different than Amazon and Google. In your article, again, back in May, you had suggested they were kind of the winner on the home space. Can you tell us more about your thoughts then as well as now on Samsung Bixby? With Bixby, it's always about the future. <laughs> you know, it's like you can point to Amazon and you can point to Google and you can say they are making a real strong move into the home because of things like the rebrand to Nest and, and you know, Amazon's integration with Ring and all these kind of things and, and the mesh Wi-Fi systems that they're all launching. So there's evidence there to show that with Samsung, it's all kind of a little bit like it's got potential. And that's, that's the main kind of caveat with all of this. But Samsung... Huge in Korea, obviously, and they're pretty big in America and Europe in terms of the devices that they have and the devices that they sell. So, whereas kind of Amazon's main selling point is the software, you know, the Alexa software, 
all the reasons why they've been launching these crazy products like microwaves and clocks isn't necessarily because they want to have a hardware success. It's because they want to show everyone else that makes hard that makes microwaves and clocks that you can have Alexa in it if you want to. So I think their play is more of a software play. You know, the devices that are selling for twenty-two dollars within Black Friday. So it's like they, I don't think they're going to be making a huge amount of margin on it. So, but with Samsung, they're most of what they do is hardware. So it's kind of almost like the opposite. They don't really have a huge software footprint, at least not to my knowledge. But what they do have is hardware in everyone's homes. Lots of people have Samsung TVs. Lots of people have Samsung washing machines, you know, Samsung ovens, microwaves, all that kind of stuff. They have an opportunity to be the voice assistant that runs your appliances. And this is why I was kind of making this point back in May is just because of their device footprint, they have an opportunity to capitalize on that essentially. But beyond that, I think it's a bit of a weird one, Samsung, because I know they're encouraging third-party development and they're doing a lot of outreach to encourage that, which they kind of have to because without a real strong evangelism program and without people at Samsung like Roger going out there and grabbing hold of people and saying, look, turn your head this way and have a look at what Samsung have got then they're going to find it really difficult to recruit developers because you know the Alexa ecosystem is already there. The Google Assistant ecosystem is kind of, not I wouldn't say flourishing, but it exists at least. And I think those two have got the head start on it all. But it's interesting with Samsung because millions and millions of people have Samsung phones, but maybe even billions, I don't know. But they've got a huge device footprint and a huge hardware footprint. And something like Bixby seems to me at least as though that's the thing that could potentially thread all of this stuff together. Yeah, I just love how much knowledge you're bringing, how much you seem to know about each entity. And I want to shift to the other two, which we haven't really heard as much from, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So let's go into Apple Siri, which in your article again back in May, you said was the Apple ecosystem. What are your thoughts on where Apple is now in voice and maybe where it's going? With Apple, it's like no one ever wants to write Apple off to the because they might do something crazy. But with me, I, I seem to suspect, and I could be completely wrong, but from the evidence that I can see based on things like their events and things like the capabilities that they actually offer for third-party developers and stuff like that, I don't think that Apple fully understand the voice ecosystem as it currently stands. Not necessarily as it currently stands, because I think, to be honest, they actually understand it more than anyone after releasing the HomePod, although it flopped. But ultimately, they were saying, look, people are only using it for music. And music is by far and away the most popular thing for people to do. I think that will change over time, but that's kind of where we are. But you never want to kind of underwrite Apple sort of thing. But with Apple, I think you're at shortcuts and they're still kind of locked up in this app mentality. You know, everything's got a link to an app sort of thing. And, and that's the kind of the only thing that you can really do. But they've got some interesting things. So for example, they launched Apple Pay in iMessages. There's an agency in America, and I forget the name, but they ran an experiment in baseball stadiums with iMessage, and you can order a beer through iMessage and pay for it with Apple Pay in iMessage while you're, at this, while you're watching baseball and have the beer brought to you in the stand. So they're kind of experimenting with stuff. Shortcuts requires a little bit too much of a cognitive effort on the user's part to set up and use. But the partnership they did with, uh, was it uh, Walmart recently, where you can add things to your Walmart shopping list through Siri? Royal Bank of Canada have done some interesting stuff with Siri. So it's, it's kind of like they're experimenting a little bit, but it's very difficult to kind of understand what they're really planning for it. You know, for example, the last, what was it, WWDC in, at some point during this year, the, the best thing that they announced 
that was wrapped up in an accessibility feature. It was at the very, very end of the whole talk, the whole kind of like two hours worth of content. At the very, very end, they said, oh, and by the way, we've got a really cool accessibility feature called voice control, which means that you can pretty much navigate your entire phone using just your voice. I don't know if you've tried it, but basically when I'm in my office, which is where I am now, I have my phone on a stand and that's all I use. I use my voice to pretty much run my whole iPhone. It's absolutely fantastic. That could have been branded as Siri. It could have been, you can now control your phone through Siri and then starting to kind of piece out this kind of like Siri. Brian Romley, if anyone's listened to Brian before, if you haven't, then do check him out. He kind of has the concept of Siri OS and that Siri should be the layer that sits over the top of everything, which this is an example of. But instead, what they tend to be doing is breaking features down and trying to brand them as features rather than trying to put those features under Siri. I think a lot of it is because the culture of Apple is a design culture. I've done... I've either posted or had videos around this rant before, which is that most of the people that work at Apple and most of the fans of Apple are all visual design based or visual creatives, basically. And that's kind of like entrenched in the whole company from the devices they make to the software they make to the tools they provide people with. And the people that love Apple and all of the people who really follow Apple themselves are all creatives themselves. So they care about how the device looks. They care about the light slim feel. They care about the camera performance. They care about the visual stuff that you can see because you can't see voice and and it's basically just software, ambient software. I don't think there's a full appreciation within Apple of just how powerful Siri could be if they were treating it like the next, what Apple is going to be in 10 years will be Siri first rather than design first. If they had that mentality, I think the Siri would be totally different. Yeah, I never thought about it that way. But yeah, I think that makes so much sense. And you're right. I am curious to see if they will transition to that, if they bring people on board that maybe focus a little bit more on the audio or not. It will be interesting to see coming in the future. It's going to be hard for them to do though. You know what I mean? It's like, because their organizational culture is the hardest thing in the world to change. You know, in my kind of, after doing user experience design consultancy, I got involved in service design and worked with governments all across the country designing services. And as soon as you try and design a government service, you very quickly come up against government culture and the red tape and the bureaucracy and the the kind of like politics. And it's very, very, very difficult to change all of that. And if you imagine that amplified at a trillion dollar company, (laughs) which is steeped in design heritage, not only is it steeped in design heritage, but it's always been the poster child of fantastic visual design from the websites they create to the adverts they run to the devices they have to the software they build. Everything has been visually designed to be appealing and they've always been really, really good at it. So I just think that their culture is too strongly dedicated to design. I think it would be very, very difficult for them to actually pivot to the degree that they need to potentially to get Siri to where it is. Either that or you spin Siri off again, departmental-wise and organizational-wise, have Siri as its own thing and just resource it like Amazon have resourced Alexa and give the Siri team free reign to the software around Apple. Again, I don't know if they'll do that or not. Yeah. The last one we want to talk about, which again, haven't heard as much about is Microsoft Cortana. And you had suggested that they were really focusing on the angle of work. And in your article, again, back in May, you had kind of said that they weren't too concerned maybe about Amazon and Google because they were focusing on the work (laughs) world. So what's going on with Cortana? How do they kind of separate themselves from everybody else? Well, Microsoft have tried quite a lot, haven't they, with Cortana? You know, they had the Invoke speaker, they've had the partnership with Alexa, they've tried all kinds of stuff. And I think that 
for better and not for worse. I think it's just finding its position in the market, which is stick to what you're good at. You know, it's the first, I mean, I remember Ricky Gervais always used to say that for writers that want to write, whether it's comedy, sitcoms, movies, dramas, anything at all, if anyone ever wants to write anything, write about what you know. I think about that all the time. And that can apply directly to this. Microsoft know the enterprise inside out better than any of those companies we've just mentioned. They know enterprise architecture. They know how to sell to enterprises. They've got the confidence and the trust of enterprises. And they have the software that the vast majority of enterprises run. So it makes sense for Microsoft to stick to what you know, create a digital assistant that sits over the top of all of your enterprise apps that you have already in place and make Cortana the, the face of that. And, and as people start getting more comfortable using their voice, as start, people start bringing that into the workplace, which inevitably they will, as they did with mobile devices, although mobile devices is a device and voice is an interface, so it's slightly different, but the same kind of concept. And I think that's where they will have long-term success. I don't know what the uptake has been at the moment. I know they released the, uh, the study that they did, the voice study in the summer. I think it was July in the summer. And they found that Cortana was used by 21% of people. I want to figure out how they've been kind of categorizing that because typically if you search for something with a keyboard on a Windows 10 machine, you'll be using Cortana's search. So I wonder whether they're categorizing and including people using the typed search on their laptops to access their digital assistant, not necessarily their voice assistant. But either way, I think it makes perfect sense for Cortana to be the thing that will find you your meeting minutes, that will take your meeting notes, that will send your documents for you, that will respond to and send out the emails for you, that will integrate with Salesforce or Slack or whatever it is that you use to communicate. And that will be the thing that you use when you go to work. I think it's a good thing that they've managed to find an actual angle and a position that suits them, that plays to their strengths, and that will still bring voice to the masses. It's one of the most used operating systems in the world, and their footprint in the enterprise is huge. So I think it's good for them. Now, you had suggested, again, in the article back in May, that the missing link was the voice assistance for social, which... Facebook seems to be winning at this point with Portal. I know I recently saw them do a lot of Instagram marketing, pulling on big celebrities, Jennifer Lopez, A-Rod, and Kim Kardashian, and having them use it, especially during Black Friday holiday time. So they're obviously putting some marketing dollars behind it. Can you describe what Facebook Portal is, what they're doing with voice, and how it's unique in the market? Well, as far as I can see... Portal is a device, is how they seem to be kind of pitching it. They're pitching it as a device, which is similar to the Amazon Echo or the Google Nest Hubs or the Apple HomePods or whatever. Obviously, it's a screen first, not screen first, but it has a screen. So they've got these little, uh, like the mini is like a, it looks a little bit like the Home Hub, the Google Home Hub, but it's almost like a picture frame that you just have on the side. They've got the Portal Plus, which is the huge, like uh, massive, horrible looking thing. It looks a little bit like an iMac with a narrower screen. And then the Portal TV, which is like a, a webcam that hooks up to your TV. Really, what they're trying to position the Portal as is video calls with friends and family. That's the core kind of positioning in that, you know, you can access your Facebook friends, you can call them, you can engage in video calls, the camera will follow you around the room, you can phone people. So with Amazon, for example, if you wanted to drop in on someone, they need to have an echo. Whereas with Portal, you can video call someone through 
WhatsApp or Messenger. So for example, Kerry, you might have a portal at yours, whereas I might just be on my mobile using Facebook Messenger, but you can still video call me on Facebook Messenger through your portal. And so, yes, it's a voice first device. It's obviously got a touch screen as well. It's got Alexa built in. So that's why it's important to differentiate Portal from the other assistants is because Portal itself isn't an assistant. It's a device. Whereas Alexa is an assistant. Alexa will be in your headphones, on your, in the app on your phone, in your smart speakers, in your oven. Same with Google Assistant. You know, these are digital assistants, whereas Portal is a device. However, it's the first kind of, and it was released a while back and it got a bit of a horrible reaction, but I think they've addressed some things. They've got like a switch on the top where you can just mute the mic and mute the camera and stuff like that. So they're trying to take privacy into consideration and stuff. So it's Facebook's first attempt at a smart display, essentially, is how uh, I would describe it. Where that will take them, I don't know. I think I like the idea of having the thing that Amazon don't have, which is your contacts. So at the moment, if you want to phone someone with Alexa, then they need to have enabled that facility on their Echo. Whereas this, so just tap straight into your existing network on the existing channels that you use. And I've been being considering, I wrote it off originally. I think when I wrote this article, I kind of wrote, I didn't write Facebook off. Everyone else was writing Facebook off, but I was kind of just saying, well, we don't have anything social in voice that's working well. Whether this is it, I don't know. This seems to be a quick way of being able to FaceTime someone. But we'll see what happens. I'm interested to get one just to test it to see what it's all about and to see how it works. But you know, as a first foot through the door, we'll see. I don't think it's going to be huge. But the idea of the, this article and what I was getting at with this is that we've kind of got things covered in many areas. With Alexa, you can bank on it. You can listen to music. You can get your calendar and diary, do your to-do list play games, you know, listen to podcasts, whatever. Same thing with Google Assistant and Siri. You can use it to control all of your Apple devices and kind of like get access to quick questions. And Cortana's got its place in the enterprise. And it's like no one's cracked social on voice yet. There's like Hear Me Out, which is just like a fancy audio version of Twitter where you can just listen to pretty much voicemails. Sound Branch kind of had a stab, but they've now pivoted to work in kind of like VR, in the VR space. Uh, and then there's Buzzit, which is uh, just coming out of beta. That's kind of built on blockchain. That's kind of trying to bring a social edge to voice. But all of those things are, don't have the weight of Facebook. And so I think this is... We'll see how it goes. Portal isn't a Facebook's voice assistant. It's just them releasing the device that lets you make calls with your network, essentially. But it's a good place to start. Now, I mean, what I had liked about this article and about our conversation now is that you kind of suggest that there's kind of these different voice-enabled devices or assistants, and they're kind of in their own little niche right now. Do you think that in the future that they will kind of dominate a particular space or that eventually someone will kind of take over everything where we'll be seeing maybe mostly Google Assistant or will everybody kind of have their own niche and kind of stick that way? I think that people will have, there's always this kind of argument of whether people will have one voice assistant or whether they will use lots of voice assistants. And I think that there will be areas where certain voice assistants will dominate, I think. So for example, in the enterprise, you might use, or when you're working rather, you might use Cortana. When you come home, you might use Alexa for your home 
you might have your lights, your heating, all that kind of stuff. But then you might have an Android phone and you might use Assistant on your phone for other things like your calendar or accessing quick links into apps or searching the internet or whatever it might be. And so I think there's, there's kind of a position for them all. They're all trying to be, or at least Amazon and Google are trying to be the one, the single one, you know, like Amazon wants to be in your house, in your car, in your ears. I would not be surprised if they released a phone over the next 12 to 18 months, maybe two years, because uh, that's the only thing they don't have. And maybe their reach with Alexa might convince people to kind of get hold of one of their phones. Google have the potential to be the single assistant that threads everything together for you. But I just think that it will all be, you'll use whichever assistant is the right thing to use. What seems to be happening with technology now is everything's kind of converging. And so, you know, the interface is becoming the most convenient interface that you have at the time. So you might have a smart display that'll allow you to touch the screen or speak to it. You might have earphones that will just be audio only. You might have a smartphone that you can either touch or speak to. You might have a watch that you can touch or speak to. So everything will become kind of multimodal. And if you're the assistant that can be the assistant that hangs across all of those devices, like Google Assistant, Google acquiring Fitbit recently is no kind of like knee-jerk reaction. That's pretty much because they're in the battle for the body as uh, as, uh, Alexa are as well. And so, yeah, I think that there will be a multitude of assistants to do whatever is needed at the time. However, there will be people who, if you're in an Apple environment and all your devices are Apple, you're more likely to use Siri. If you have all of your house hooked up to Alexa, you're probably going to make a decision on what car to buy based on whether or not it hooks up to Alexa. If you're an Android user and your smart home's all hooked up with Google, then maybe you will be in the Google world, but you still might use Cortana at work. So I think it's all much of a muchness and we'll see how it plays out. But I think there's space for both, either having one assistant that you use predominantly all the time or having a series of assistants that you use depending on what context you're in and what devices you have to hand. Yeah, and I've said this before, you know, the voice text space reminds me so much of when social media kind of first came out. And the way you're kind of describing each thing reminds me of Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, all of these. And when we're talking from a digital marketing standpoint, you know, the idea is, is that you're supposed to be everywhere on social media, but that you should be adjusting to each platform. You know, the way you display things on TikTok would not be the same on LinkedIn but it would still kind of reflect your brand. When you have a company or a developer that is designing for voice, should they be sticking with one particular thing saying, okay, I'm just going to develop for Amazon Alexa? Or should they be thinking about, let me start with one and then how do I create my experience across all these things so that I can reach my potential customer wherever they're at? Well, it depends who your customer is and where they are at already. I mean, if your core customer base has predominantly a large degree of smart speakers or a large proportion of them have smart speakers, and we know that Amazon is the market leader with smart speakers, then you may say that's a good place to start. If your core target market are predominantly Apple device owners, then you might want to try and experiment with some shortcuts. And so it kind of depends on who your user is and, and where your user are, where your user is rather. But Over time, I think it will become important to have a a multi-channel strategy when it comes to a digital assistant. And the the term will probably change from voice assistant to digital assistant because yes, as I mentioned earlier, the interfaces are converging. So yes, you may want to order a takeaway on your Echo, but you may want to ask how long it's going to be through Facebook Messenger. You know, you may order a taxi through WhatsApp but you might ask Siri on your Apple Watch how long it's going to be if you're out and about or whatever. 
So I think that having a strategy that will allow you to have a conversational digital assistant across all of your interfaces will be the thing that will make more sense. And where you start with that will just depend on where your users are or actually in some cases where your users aren't. So I've advised people in the past to start by launching something on Google Assistant because there are less actions there. Yes, there are a lot of users, but comparatively compared to Echoes, the smart speakers don't have that big a user base compared to uh, Amazon Echoes. So if you were to launch something on Google Assistant, it would allow you to do so with fairly low risk and then analyze the experience and iterate it so that when you do launch on Alexa, you're not launching an MVP, you're launching something that's actually a little bit more well-rounded. And you can do the same kind of thing with that. So for example, you might launch something on Facebook and you might run Facebook Messenger Bot and you might run an advert to a small segment of people to get some people into the bot to test it. And then you might refine that experience and then put the same kind of experience on Alexa if the same use case makes sense. And then you can kind of experiment, kind of low risk, low volume with, with a multitude of different channels, find out the conversation patterns, the design patterns, etc. And then over time, roll these things out across all channels. And that's the way I kind of see it going. In future is that people will have, uh, or brands will have digital assistants that will manifest themselves in any where that it's needed, whether it's on a smart speaker, whether it's in a chat bot on your website or a voice bot on your website, whether it's in your app, whether it's in Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, iMessage, Siri, Cortana, it doesn't really matter. As long as you've got those conversational models and you've got the data to thread together and tie together users from one device to another so you can provide a consistent experience for users and personalized experiences for users, then that's the way that I see it going in the next five years. And do you think that there's any room for you know, third parties to have a say here? Or do you think it's really going to be dominated by kind of the top five or six companies in the world? I think that it will be depend on the context. I think that Amazon and Google will have... You'll have a hard time beating Amazon and Google when it comes to the home. I think because the early adopting kind of first mover advantage, unless they do something really terrible, I think that will have them in a pretty comfortable position. I mentioned Amazon releasing all of these devices like microwaves and rings and stuff like that. It's because they're trying to show manufacturers how easy it is to put Alexa into absolutely anything. And you know, they said that they've got in their last earnings call in the last quarter, they said they had something like 80,000 products from 9,500 brands that work with Alexa. And so if they continue that kind of pace, they're going to own the smart home because everyone's going to create products that have Alexa built in that thread into that Alexa ecosystem. Same with Google. So I think that the home is going to be difficult. The car essentially will come down to those third-party manufacturers getting partnerships with car manufacturers. So for example, Jaguar have a stake in Mycroft. They were early investors in Mycroft. So you may find the Mycroft assistant appear in Jaguar cars, although it wouldn't be branded as Mycroft. It'll be branded as the Jaguar assistant. The likes of Nuance and Soundhound are doing some really interesting stuff. Both of those companies collaborated to get my Mercedes assistant into the new Mercedes A-Class. And so the space... It's just that going direct to consumer for third parties and smaller companies would be very difficult. And those companies are starting to get acquired. You know, Snips was acquired by uh, Sonos, which makes sense. So now there's one less third party voice assistant supplier. So I think it's possible for third parties to have success, but you'll need to go with a B2B strategy to get involved with the manufacturers themselves because some of them don't really want to be giving their data to Amazon. You know, we've worked with projects where we couldn't use third party tools to launch and publish something because the intellectual property surrounding the code didn't want to be hosted either with either with Amazon or wherever, you know. So it's kind of like companies are a little bit, some companies are a bit afraid 
about hosting stuff and having a too close a working relationship with Amazon for fear of uh, what that could do to them. I mean, Josh Montgomery of Mycroft, when we had them on a podcast last year, said that if you sell anything, you will eventually end up competing with Amazon. And I think, you know, last week or the week before, there's like Google are trying to get themselves a banking license and Amazon are moving into, um, what was it? I can't remember what I've seen now. It was something like insurance or something crazy like that. Mortgages, that's it. Amazon are trying to move into mortgages. There is always potential that Amazon will tread on your turf. So there's always going to be companies and brands that don't want necessarily Alexa, but they want to provide an easy, simple, intuitive user interface. And so there's opportunities for those third parties to get involved in that. And then there's other ones like, uh, you know, we had uh, Jeff Adams of Cobalt Speech. So if you have an app and you, you don't have hardware, but you have an app or a website and you want a digital assistant to be created for a personal assistant for your customers, or you want to put it in your phone lines or something like that, but you don't want it to be Alexa or you don't want your data going to Amazon or whatever, then I think there's space for those brands to have their own personal assistants but, and they'll need those third parties, tools and, and companies to, to do that. So yeah, I think there's opportunities, but whether it will be huge widespread mass customer adoption, I don't believe so. I think it will be more white labeled and delivered on behalf of a brand. Well, Kane, you have brought a tremendous wealth of knowledge for us today. Where can people learn more about you and connect with you online? You can go to vux.world if you want to uh, check out the podcast. You can join me on LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com slash in for some reason, slash Kane Sims. And I'm on Twitter at Kane Sims or at VUX World, Instagram at VUX World as well. And my email is Kane at VUX.world if you want to get in touch with us directly. Perfect. And the last question we like to ask on the show to kind of help promote voice as a whole, is there a particular voice experience, skill or flash briefing that you're using and really enjoying right now? Yeah. Flash briefing wise, the Business Insider flash briefing is pretty good. If you haven't checked that out, it pretty much just does 10 headlines in it's less than 10 minutes, actually, just really quick fire headlines. So every morning, rather than kind of scrolling through you know, your emails or whatever you do, Business Insider will just give you the high level top 10 stories of the day, which is really good. And Peter Stewart does a really good one as well. He does one called The Smart Speakers Daily. And it's similar to, to Terry Fisher's podcast, Alexa in Canada, the Flash Briefing rather. And he covers you know news to do with voice technology and stuff like that. So I've been checking that one out recently. With skills, I mean, I'm always testing skills. I'm always experimenting with skills. Uh, the one that I always tend to go back to time and time again, which I think has managed to successfully create that trigger inside me that has me call it up whenever I'm in the baby's room and we're feeding him or changing him or whatever. I'll always use the CBB skill and it's really good. It's got games and stories and things like that. It's really cool. And yeah, that's my go-to skill at the moment and go-to flash briefings. Well, thank you so much, Kane, for again, sharing your passion and knowledge with us today. And I look forward to hearing more on your show and seeing more on social from you. Cool. Thank you, Kerry. Appreciate that. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Inside Voice podcast. We greatly appreciate you being a part of our community. And if you enjoyed this episode or you like the podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, follow, like, share, leave a review of the show. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, people you want to see on the show, things you want to learn, feel free to send us an email at kerry at modev.com. That's K-E-R-I at modev.com. And be sure to check us out online at voicesummit.ai. Thank you. And we look forward to chatting with you next week.